This is Remote Ruby. Have you any remote ideas to the meaning of the word? Happy Friday, or unhappy Friday, depending on how the week went. Unhappy Friday. Let's continue. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just going to jump right in. Did you see David's video on deploying campfire? I did not watch it, but I saw that it existed. Yeah. Tell me about it. I mean, it's pretty cool. You create a server, SSH in, or use a DigitalOcean web browser to connect to the terminal. And then you run one command, which uses your auth key for your license and bam, installs Docker and everything and deploys your app. And you point your DNS record to the IP address. It does SSL and I'm not entirely sure how it's wired up because they've got file uploads and stuff. So those you won't want in your container. So I assume it sets up volumes and other stuff to back up your files and whatever. But Looks pretty cool. He mentioned in his tweet something called Thruster. What did it say? I just replied to his tweet and asked if that was going to be open source. He said it's their new configless proxy accelerator for Rails Puma that gives HTTP2 compression caching X send file headers. So curious. DevOps people over there or what? (laughs) Yeah. Curious what all that is. I mean, it looks cool. It requires two gigs of RAM on your server, and they're roughly saying 250 concurrent users for that, 1,000 for an 8-gig server, and then 5,000 for a 32-gig of RAM and 16 CPU, and 10,000 users for 64 gigs of RAM. And it's 300 bucks. So if you're using Slack with 10,000 users and want to save a ridiculous amount of money every month, then... That's like a stupid no-brainer to go buy. I just want to buy it and see the source code and walk through that. I don't know if I'll use it or not. Discord's pretty good and pretty centralized, you know? That I think will be like one of those things that like maybe for your work chat that needs to be private and not shared, then Campfire works really great for that. But I don't know about community kind of stuff. I'm curious what happens with all that. I thought I understood once was, all right? Once upon a time, I once thought I once knew (laughs) what once was. Now you started speaking, and then I saw a tweet recently, and I was like, maybe I don't know what once was. First, I thought they were giving you an app. Then I thought they were giving you like a deployment thing. And then at one point, I thought they were literally going (laughs) to ship you a server rack. Like that, I was like, they're making actual server racks, and they're just going to give it to you. And they're like, yes, this is the future you run. Your app. No, on this. it's pretty much like buying Jumpstart Pro, but they have like a full install script that you just run on your server. I'm not entirely sure if it's using Kamal for deployment, but my understanding was they, you know, built and intended Kamal and Solid Queue for those purposes or whatever. So I guess we'll find out when it comes out, but it's, you know, just a Docker image that you can deploy however you want. If you want to throw it up on Heroku as a Docker image, you can. They also have a full setup script to do it on your machine. They're selling software and he sets up some stuff over, you know, running terminal commands and stuff. So I'm curious how many non-tech people will buy it. 
like Basecamp and Hey customers. They don't need to know anything at all about computers, but this will require some of that. A little bit more, not a ton, but it's like copying and pasting commands into DigitalOcean and servers and SSH and terminals and whatever. It's going to be a little strange for a lot of people. So I hope that a lot of people buy it that aren't developers. That would be awesome. We'll see. If it doesn't come on a CD-ROM, I won't buy it. I need a floppy disk. Floppy disk or get out. <laughs> yeah, it's got to come in a box on the shelf at Office Depot or something. Well, like I said, I thought they were at one point going to ship you an actual <laughs> box. So, I mean, that could be somebody's service they do on top. We'll send you a Raspberry Pi and just have it pre-installed. <laughs> just plug this into your closet and this will power yeah. your business. Don't worry if it pings back home and it starts mining crypto. Nah, the closet nah, nah, will nah. be very warm. <laughs> nah, nah, nah. Just ignore all calls to Arizona. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like real excited though. Like that price point, I thought they said it was going to be under $1,000. And I was like, okay, so it'll be like $9.99. <laughs> but $300 is very reasonable. I would buy a course that was $300 from them. David said he was going to do some videos and walk through the source code. So pretty much seems like for people who want to see how they write code, organize things and design stuff, that would be a great little product to buy just for the learning purposes. So I'm stoked for that. Uh, You'll have to let me peek at yours. That is really interesting though. Like when David was doing that on writing software well series, that was chef's kiss. Like it was awesome. I was like a brand new Rails program. So it was like, this is really interesting. Like, this isn't the way I would have thought about doing this. When Hey came out, we were all like trying to read the source maps and say, well, how are they doing this? Like, how are they doing that? So right, yeah, it would right. be interesting to dive into that source code. Yeah, I agree. I remember specifically watching the series that he did and noticing that like, they spend an awful lot of time on naming and using modules that most of the applications I had worked on didn't take advantage of that like at all. Yeah. So I had seen that and been like, well, this is a very different style than I used to. And it really got my eyes open. And like recently even we just went through and I mean, still have the tendency of like when I'm building a new feature, like put it directly in the models and then tell myself I'll come back later and refactor it and organize it. But I did recently go back and say like the user model is going to have a notifiable concern that's going to have the associations for notifications and just include that in the user model and then do the same thing for OAuth or whatever else it is. I feel so much organization in the code helps so much. It was kind of tremendous like how it feels in comparison. But that was stuff that like, I learned from watching their videos and stuff. I always thought that was a particularly useful thing. And they also go and and go the distance a lot of times on what's the perfect term for this. And it will just be like user resource, something very generic or whatever, and not truly descriptive. And that was another thing that is like, slow down, think about the English language and how to communicate and use the right terminology can make a massive difference on how comprehensible something is. One of the tiniest changes I made in the new version was the old version, you would say, deliver by email, deliver by action cable or SMS or whatever. 
And then the options for it were kind of like basically modeled it off of associations and rails. You just have comma separated list of options and you're like, here's how we format the notification for email or SMS or action cable. It would often be like symbols pointing to a method that it would call, which was a pretty standard thing you would do in Rails. But as things get more complex, you end up building all these methods that are never called from anywhere directly in your code because it's called from the gem, which when you're reading through the class, you're like, what the hell is this method? So the only thing I did was the deliver by method takes the list of options or the parameters, the keyword params, and now accepts a block. And if you do a block, we take those keyword params and we yield them to the block as an ordered options object. So now you can say deliver by SMS, do config and config.format and like organize it all right there in a little block. And man, that was like a two line change of code. And then all of a sudden my classes were so well organized because everything was not randomly jumbled lower in the file in random method names. They were all like self-contained. They didn't need method names because I could do them as lambdas in line and it would just be anonymous. And that was fine because it was in the right context. So you knew where it was going to be. So that stuff I feel like is top of mind lately. And I can't wait to see what they've done with a lot of that organization of code and campfire. You're just talking about it. I'm like, oh, that sounds nice. Like, ooh. <laughs> and then I was thinking about the code I was writing before this call. <laughs> the method names. Named the method foobar today. and was like, I'll come back to it. <laughs> but will you? <laughs> that one surely won't stay. But I want to name things well. I don't have them. I feel like there's two modes thinking about the naming and the organization, and then there's the writing of the code. I just need to write this down, get this algorithm out of my head, and I'll just name it whatever the hell, and then we'll come back to it and refactor it and rename things. Yeah. I feel like you just need to like make time for that or make space for you to like stop and think about it and refactor and whatever. Because that's one of the things I was writing a email to the go rails newsletter out today about writing noticed and stuff. And one of the points I made was like noticed came out like four years ago, I guess looking at the commits, which is kind of crazy. And I solved a lot of the problems I intentionally went for in version one. There were definitely things that didn't make sense. Like database delivery of a notification was optional when we deliver the notification, we check to see if it's delivering by the database and then pull that out and run it in line before everything else. And it was a weird exception. And looking at those things after some time to think on them helps you like solidify how you want to make it work. I don't really care if there's notifications that could skip writing to the database, they're just going to be an empty record. We'll just make that a requirement in version two. And then all of that was simplified into this elegant thing by that simple decision. And then there was bulk deliveries and other things people had asked for that I was like, I don't know how best to solve this in its current state. The five or 10 different times I tried refactoring it just left me in this weird mess because I was like too influenced by the existing 
solution. I didn't have the space to think about what if I did this from scratch and what if I did it right? What would that look like? So I like rewrote the gem from scratch in this version too, which made it harder to migrate, but it gave me the freedom to be like, I know all the problems. I know what we want to achieve in version two, but I don't want to be influenced by any of the crap in version one. Right. So like giving myself that space just to think clearly helped quite a lot. That was another thing of refactoring code. You have to like separate yourself from what exists currently so you can look at it with fresh eyes and be like, what do we really want this to be like? I call that slash and burn coding. I do that <laughs> too much. It's all you much. do. It honestly is all I do. I love starting fresh. Take the yeah. same problem, yeah. remove oh. everything, and then start fresh. Knowing what you know now, but I like to do that so many times that I never actually solve the problem. But yeah, <laughs> I love doing that style of programming. It's like, okay, I take everything I've learned, all the resources I have now, no existing code, start fresh. Yeah. What does my brain do? Yeah. And that was pretty much what we did. But keeping in mind, we have these existing database records and we'll need to right. like preserve them. I still split it out into two tables and stuff. I knew we'd have a migration between the two, but... That's okay. Right. So that is one of the most fulfilling things. When I like taught myself to code back in like grade school, I wrote the same programs like 14, 15 times. Every time I knew that I understood the problem better, I'd go back and refactor it. And then it would be so like a joyful moment to look at it and be like, it's half the lines of code yeah. and it does more features. It's so yeah. awesome. Yeah. I love refactoring, especially for components, because they're kind of like an easy, like no consequence place to do it. Let me go back and make the best base component possible. Like that Mm -hmm. covers every possible thing. And then just kind of going back and revisiting, like what is the best API for these types of objects? I love that style of programming. Yeah. For some reason, the word API triggered me yesterday. I was looking at Paddle Building's API again. I don't (laughs) know why. Their documentation says like you can provide an ID or null for Mm -hmm. filtering the list of results for something. When I tried it, I was like, okay, so I can submit an ID and it filters it. That works. And I'll just submit nil and Faraday will convert that to an empty value and put that in the URL params and they'll see that it's null. And it didn't work. And it was like invalid request. And I was like, oh, you got to be shitting me. (laughs) So I tried again with the string of null as the value. And it worked. And I was like, oh my God. Dude, that's (laughs) when I literally start banging the desk, like just pounding it and like screaming. Like, why? Yeah. Why are you like this? Yeah. I was like, you know that it's a null value because there is no value. It's a URL param. That's how they work. Very cool. Mind you, this is the same developers that version one of their API had status or state in one of the, uh, in either in the API request and then webhooks would give you the same column, but it would be the opposite name, like state in one and status in the other to represent the same thing. And they couldn't be bothered to like do 
an update of their API that just sends like both status and both state. Like you made a mistake, you can fix it. You can just provide both values so it's consistent, whichever one you want to use. But they didn't do that. And then they released like a whole new version of their API that is not backwards compatible with the previous one and stuff. And I'm like, just take some time. Write it all out ahead of time so you know exactly what you're building. And you can also roll out fixes. Like Stripes even talked about some really awesome way that they do gating of things where it's like, well, it used to be status, now it's state or vice versa. And we accept both inputs, but if we see the old one, we'll rename it in your request internally and take care of it. Mm, and it's like, yes. it's freaking awesome. Ooh, Fantastic. Yeah. And it's like, they could learn from all these other people who have written about these problems before, but they apparently haven't. And it just is one of those things where as a user, I'm like, I'm a little concerned about the internals of their product if the externals are not very yeah. well-written. So, I wish we had yeah. a time machine. A long time ago, when Paddle first became like a thing, because it wasn't in pay to begin with, right? You added it no. in later? Yeah. It was Stripe and Braintree because I was trying to add PayPal support to GoRails. We used Braintree and I was just trying to like make a standard interface over both of them. I can literally take myself back all the way. Like I was still in North Carolina and I remember Chris Oliver saying, Paddle is going to be great. It's this new API. It's going to be the thing. <laughs> it's going to resolve all the Braintree issues. It's just going to be the unifying API. I'm so excited for it. I feel like... That's what my brain is telling me that I, there is like a memory somewhere in my head of that. Paddle is going to be great. It's this new API. It's going to be the thing. It's going to resolve all the brain tree issues. It's just going to be the unifying API. I'm so excited for it. Preach it, Chris. Sweet. That must be my Hootie seafood from that awesome new ghost kitchen. Which like... It sort of did, but there was a, its own layer of problems in there that yeah. was like, oh my goodness. There truly is no <sighs> one good solution to payments. Yeah. That's paper checks. That's what it is. Paper checks. Yeah. <laughs> Got to go balance the checkbook. Sorry. Mom and dad yeah. are going to be on the living or the kitchen table all night. Yeah. And it's going to be like the old days, which you may not remember, but when you would buy DOS video games you could get the demo version and they'd be like, mail us a check and we'll send you floppy disks. So I don't know what the hell that is, but I that plan, sounds interesting. I plan to send you floppy disks for your GoRails subscriptions and stuff. Today's screencast is on these 35 floppies. <laughs> if I could walk to my mailbox, open it up, and receive a VHS tape of a GoRails episode, walk back to Ooh. my house, slap it in a VHS player that I get at Goodwill, I would be a happy dude. I would be. A, it would be a good day. Oh man, that would be awesome. I'll have to get some of that VCR playback effects on the video yeah, or yeah, something. Yeah. That'd be sweet. Dude, why don't you just go backwards in time and go to where Netflix was in like the early two thousands? Just start sending people <laughs> DVDs of GoRails. Screw the yeah, streaming DVDs tab. and a DVD rewinder is an upgrade. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> nah. Maybe you get Blu-ray for. Uh, five dollars extra blu-ray rewinder yeah yeah you're talking (laughs) damn 
Let me ask you one quick question. Are you currently using one service for uptime monitoring, another service for error tracking, another service for status pages, and yet another service to monitor cron jobs and microservices? Paying for all of those separately may be costing you a lot of money. If you want to simplify your stack and lower those bills, it's time to check out HoneyBadger. HoneyBadger combines all of those services into one easy-to-use platform. It's everything you need to keep production healthy and your customers happy. Best of all, HoneyBadger is free for small teams, and setup takes as little as five minutes. Get started today at HoneyBadger.io. That's www.HoneyBadger.io. I was watching a review of this device called the Retro Tink 4K, which is mm-hmm. like you plug in your Super Nintendo or your Nintendo or whatever into like a modern OLED TV, reintroduce scan lines and all the other like artifacts and stuff from old CRTs. And I was like, we're definitely at that point in time where those people who grew up on that are now old enough to afford the thing is like seven hundred and fifty dollars to play your old games you know on a modern tv but with that retro sort of perfect look to it and i was like it's only people our age who have the money to appreciate that (laughs) because that is a stupid amount of money for yeah that is to like input an old game (laughs) I, i mean i went home and i remember the wii being like this pinnacle of technology like there's a great south park episode about it too but <laughs> i went home and my little brother busted out a wii sports on me and i'm like yo this is pixelated dude i'm like i thought this was oh, yeah i thought this was 4k hd but it, it is was crazy, at the like, time how much those <laughs> old games go for now like getting smash bros now dude, it is pokemon like for the game boy yellow red and blue were like 50 dollars each now which is nuts so yeah yeah. there's been an upsell it's crazy i do have an old dmg game boy that's got a modern backlight on it and a white and black stormtrooper theme for the buttons and stuff and it's awesome like if you ever do want to play those like oh my god a game boy color i thought that was the coolest thing back in the day and then you look at the screen today and you're like how the hell did anybody see anything on this yeah like they are terrible but now you get one of those little modern IPS displays for them for like very cheap and then swap it out. And I mean, it's incredible how good they are. So it is cool to see some of that like coming back. And a lot of those devices are like the battery contacts have corroded and other stuff over time because they just sat in a box for right. 30 years or whatever. So it's nice to see a lot of that stuff is able to be revived and whatever or analog makes like FPGA replicas of the chips and stuff on there. You can get basically a modern, but like as close as possible to the original hardware functionality wise and HDMI outputs on your Nintendo or whatever. It's freaking sweet. Yeah. Middle days. It's always crazy to see, too. The new Raspberry Pis are quite a bit faster than the 4Bs and whatever else. I forget. I don't know. I think everybody always bought the B model or whatever. I don't know if there was even an A. (laughs) Now that I'm thinking about it. But those can play like PlayStation games and whatever else, like 
emulate them pretty well. And there was a quote that I saw earlier today that was, in the 70s, there was the Cray 1 supercomputer. Uh, yeah, 1978, Cray 1 supercomputer cost $7 million, weighed 10,500 pounds, and had a 115 kilowatt power supply. Uh, it was by far the fastest computer in the world. And then today, the Raspberry Pi costs about $70 for a CPU case, power supply, and SD card. It weighs a few ounces, has a 5-watt power supply, and is four and a half times faster than the Cray one. <laughs> it is wild, like how far. insane? Yeah. I mean, it we're is- at the point now where we're just trying to get past, like, space issues, right? Like, we can't even pack enough in there anymore. Like, there's not enough space. It's crazy. And it's funny, too, like... The evolution of it is our computers are lightning fast compared to where they were, but that's what enables us to do like Ruby as fast as we do. Like this is interpreted. It's not compiled. It's not optimized like the compilers for C and whatever else. Computers are doing a whole lot more work, but they're still super fast at running Ruby and whatever else. And it's awesome because our ability to like, ship productive software is insane compared to somebody who is fiddling with hexadecimal and memory and allocating memory and all that stuff and writing assembly and and low level C and whatever. Like 37 signals can go and build a product like Campfire on the side as a side project while they're building Hey Calendar and Hey and Basecamp. And they're like, yeah, we just kind of like did this as a fun thing to see what happens and whatever. And they can be that productive, build a whole chat system that kind of replaces your other ones for work and stuff and 300 bucks. And it runs on a $10 a month server. Crazy. It is wild what we can do with Rails sometimes. But then other times I'm like, <laughs> Rails is, I can't do anything with this piece of shit. Like... <laughs> It doesn't do anything. I'm like slapping it. It is interesting to like work day to day. And for some problems, you're like, this is incredible. Like I can make an API request in 30 seconds. And it used to be like a real pain to make, to set up a request, parse JSON, yada, yada, yada. Like that stuff was not easy. But now it's like super duper fast. But there are also... Now, these like other abstractions that we're trying to get to that are like, why is it so hard to do notifications? And that was when I was like, all right, screw it. I'm going to take on that and try and build a notification system or like payments. I'm still working on trying to make that easier where last night and this morning I've been prototyping. If you use Paddle Checkout and Stripe Checkout and whatever else checkout we ever support, Lemon Squeezy having sort of like a, you set up the request, you send them to checkout, and then one endpoint you can return them to in pay that will be like, all right, I see the param for lemon squeezy or for paddle billing or for Stripe. Then we will just route and sync whatever it is. Just give me the ID. I'll go look it up and find if the payment for a subscription or a t-shirt and then we'll save it in your database and then return the user back to wherever you want. So we're trying to set it up now. So it's like the fulfillment of whatever you purchased and like the syncing stuff is not 
they're just kind of abstracted away. So it's just like send them to check out. When they come back, send them to us and we'll take care of it. Now it's kind of like you send them to paddle. Okay. Well then when they come back, set up a controller and then you sync it yourself using this method in pay. And it's like, it's fine, but our users don't want to know anything about how that syncing process works. If they did, they'd go read the paddle docs and, you know, spend the weeks or months integrating properly in those, you know, payment processors. So I've been on that kick lately to like, how do we conceptually compress that piece of things? So it's like much easier for that. Cause the initial stuff was always like, let's start the payment and get that working really easily which is good. And then usually it was kind of like, leave it up to webhooks. But in order for you to deal with webhooks that are delayed, or if you're in localhost, you don't have webhooks running. If we redirect you to somewhere that manually hits the API and syncs it, just like the webhook would do, then you save the trouble from that. And so that's where we've been headed, trying to like make that as easy as some of these other things. I feel like that's a lot of What's happening too is like the screencast series I was doing this week was let's build a little web scraper. Like I've been trying to get a Raspberry Pi 5. So let's build the one that will hit the website a few times a day, see if it's in stock, and then email us when it changes. So I built a little thing, use Solid Queue, a cron job to run every six hours or four hours or whatever you want. And then it was about it. And it's pretty simple to build that. And what's even cooler is like the Puma management of solid queue. You don't have to run a separate process for that. It just runs whenever Puma boots up. It's freaking awesome. But of course, I like record all these videos this week. And then this morning I, I hop on to record like the conclusion and I walk through the app and I'm like, there's errors in Puma saying solid queue won't start because the constant's undefined. And I was like, what? Hmm. So I start looking and there's a new release of solid queue that I hadn't seen before. And then I was like, oh, January 19th. That's today. So three weeks ago, that bug was fixed in Maine. And then it got released today. And I was like, well, what timing? It was perfect to show off like this issue and then how to walk through like solving a bug like that, like looking up the error and where to look for that stuff and whatever. But man, that was one that was like the plug into Puma was that conceptual compression that I loved. I was like, oh, this is just easy and convenient. Yeah, running those extra processes is always it's a pit of confusion for people. Seriously. It's not as bad as like the Webpack days, but with CSS bundling and JS bundling, and then you have to run a proc file, which you have to run Foreman, but Foreman doesn't allow you to use binding IRB or pry or whatever. Mind gang. Yeah. So, so then, bro, over but, then you gotta, but then you got to learn the hard way that it doesn't support that. So binding IRB just breaks and then you start Googling it and then you're like, so I got to learn what the hell this overmind thing is and switch from oh, form into that. And, and overmind, bro. But it's like that kind of stuff. That you just got to learn T-Mux. <laughs> yeah. No yeah. sweat. Yeah. Just a little T-Mux. Then you got to learn 
the Linux kernel and how to compile it and <laughs> and the Unix shell and the Born <laughs> shell. And- What's a shell? What is a shell? Is yeah. a shell the thing that runs the process or, you know, is the shell the thing? What is the shell a programming yeah. language? I don't know. And then you're at the age of retirement and you still haven't figured it out and it's just time to relax. Yeah. You're all the way at the <laughs> end of like, what is a one and a zero? Yeah. Yeah. It's weird because there's all these times of like where we have to introduce complexity but then we have to have those times too to pull the complexity back. And we're in one of those phases in Rails, I think, where it's pulling the complexity back. But we still have the asset pipeline. Prop shaft is going to become the default in Rails 8. That's going to like mess with so many things. And it's just going to be another one of those moments where like we're still not done pulling back the complexity, but we're in the, headed in the right direction, which is good. And seeing stuff like solid queue, solid cache, using caching in, in your database. Like there's some great things going on because of that that we can see and, and benefit from. But it just felt like there was the last like five years or more where it was just like added complexity. I've been on a kick since like October of like, let's get rid of everything we possibly can that we don't need. And if somebody says like, hey, I'd like to add this feature, cool. But who's going to maintain it? And is it really worth the effort of maintaining this? And could it just be a plugin or something they maintain in their code instead of you maintaining in the library or whatever? You're ascending right now into your next state, next evolution. Yeah. It has been one of those like last few months of transcendence, pretty much. It feels like that. Just things are way simpler, way more manageable. Less stuff to worry about, less stuff can break. And then you can spend more time on what you actually want to do, which is like build a product and features and help people, which is why we write software in the first place, helping people accomplish things. That is to me the fulfilling bit, not the constant maintenance burden and crap. But you sometimes run into weird things. A specific weird thing. Have you ever done? Anything fancy in your gem file? How fancy are we talking here? Because I've been known to do some things, you know? (laughs) I like living on the edge. Yeah. Well, I did too until I fixed it, sort of. So here's what I did. I originally had Jumpstart, when you would configure it, it would generate a gem file for you and you would have your main gem file that would eval the other gem file. And I was like, this is sweet. Problem with that is like every time you resave the configuration, we got to update that gem file. And if you modified that, what do we do? Do we blow it away? Probably have to. Or we have to get real in the weeds of like, is this in there? Is it in the group and whatever else? Like we'd have to actually pretty much parse the whole damn thing. And that's a nightmare. I've understand it. So, yeah. So what I said was like, we'll just override it. Whatever. You know, you can look at the diff and you'll see the changes and you can like change it back to whatever you needed. If it got over it. that was my solution for a long time. Then I realized instead of just writing this, like, why don't we just put, it's a Ruby script. So why don't we just like put if statements in there instead? So that's what I did was like, 
we'll just have all of the options in the file. And then it's like, just include this gem if enabled. Include Stripe if you enabled Stripe. And then we're not overriding anything. And we just read the YAML file. And that's where the rabbit hole began because it was like, well, I'm going to require YAML to read the YAML file, but I'm inside the gem file, which is defining which gems to load. And as it turns out, requiring a gem while you're inside the gem file, defining the gems that are available does not work very well. You really want that all to run separately before (laughs) you do requires. So what happens is, if you do that, you'll like require psych, which you generally don't care and want the latest version of, but you'll end up where like psych is the version that ships with Ruby, but your gem file might be like, let's use the patched version that comes or that just got released. And then you get a conflict because those two versions don't match. So indirect, I think was the person that mentioned that on jumpstart and was like, yeah, this is why in bundler, there's actually like a custom YAML parser that can load YAML without any requirements, like any dependencies. So that didn't have, I forget there was something like there was, you know, it's pretty simple YAML parser. There was something that I couldn't use in there. So I like basically use that as inspiration, write our own. We just load our own YAML file now, and then that runs in the gem file, which is great. It's been running wonderfully for like almost a year now. No issues other than a couple of days ago, someone was like, what happened to Dependabot? And I was like, you know what? That's a really good point. And turns out Dependabot does the same sort of thing where it will analyze the gem file, but it will only go one layer deep on evals and require relatives. So we were doing an eval gem file and then requiring the configuration from jumpstart. And then that was requiring relative a couple other files and dependabot would run it and it would be like, the heck are you doing? And too deep. (laughs) Yeah. So this morning I'm looking at it and I'm like, all right, Let's just do instead of the requires at the top of our like Ruby file, the configuration.rb file, let's just put those in the gem file and require them there because that should appease Dependabot. And sure enough, push that up to GitHub. If you didn't know, you can go into Insights and Dependabot and actually look at the previous logs of it running. So that's where we found, like, confirmed it doesn't know what the hell to do in these nested files because it can only do the one layer. And someone found a comment of one of the dependent bot maintainers that was like, yeah, one layer only for that. So then, sure enough, fixed it. And then I was like, let's put the require relative in our eval gem file and see what happens there that doesn't work. So you got to be putting it in the main gem file or whatever. Tiny little bit of refactoring later. It was like, let's just merge this stuff into one file and then do our requires in the main and we're good. And now Dependabot works again. But it's stuff like that where you're like, you know, you get in the weeds so freaking fast 
you could spend your entire life in there, but I want to step back and like keep it simple so I'm not going down the rabbit hole of how the hell does Dependabot work internally so I can make it work on my code. Is valid Rails and Ruby bundlers understands it properly, but your hacked version of bundler to do Dependabot stuff doesn't work. So I've got to appease it as well. Like Those are the weird things that you end up spending way too much time on and they provide absolutely zero value. You know, like you shouldn't be having to fiddle with these kinds of things because it's correct. Like it works with Bundler just fine, but not in this one weird context or whatever. Drives me nuts, man. Hey, you paid the fancy price though, right? You I did. You did something fancy, you got clever, and then you yep. paid for it. Yep. And that was like overriding the file was a trade-off between this fanciness that was more automatic with less Git conflicts when you updated. And that was like, oh, beautiful. There's my answer. I'm going to go switch to that. But like the rudimentary version that I shipped with originally was actually the like more reliable version because it wasn't going to be anything fancy at all because it just was this file, read that file, boom, done. Rant yeah, over. Clever, man. <laughs> you know what happens when you get clever. Every time I yeah, get clever, every time. I'm like, damn, this is so freaking nice. I come back and I'm like, why? Why did I let myself do this? Now yeah. it's going to cost me. It's wild how many moments like that that you will have. It's all the time too. It's not, yeah. it's like your regular code, your regular features definitely happens a ton when you're using libraries and you're trying to do something with third party code. That's where it gets real gnarly a lot of times I've, I've noticed. Pun intended, notice. It's too bad the web has to talk to it, each other. I know. If computers were just like, if computers were just like no networks, no databases, it'd be so much easier. It would be, wouldn't it? Because then I wouldn't be trying to like find the Apple Health SQLite file to parse and write write (laughs) queries. Like I wouldn't be doing things like that if this wasn't a thing. Yeah, if there was no database, you'd be fine. Yeah, and what happened to the single table, single column inheritance feature that we floated last year? Like, bring that back. <laughs> yeah, that we need a create table called data, and then yeah. we have a yeah. one JSON column on it also called data. <laughs> exactly. And then we just put everything in there. Yeah, and name all the keys data. <laughs> yeah. Or it's great, dude. Oh, I know what we could call it. You say in your MySQL or Postgres database. Create table MongoDB. <laughs> <laughs> All right, now you're just column t- name is data. <laughs> now you're just taking the piss, dude. That's crazy. Dude, imagine, imagine you like you're a brand new developer, right? First day of the job, you come into the shop, you're so excited, like you've learned all this stuff about relational databases, like you're excited. You sit down, and the the lead architect comes over, and they're like, "Yeah, well, here's the database schema." <laughs> Slides you over. <laughs> single sheet of paper it just says table name mongodb (laughs) and is running in postgres dude (laughs) if you don't get up and walk out the room then oh lord so here's the plan you create you create a new repository in podia called like actual podia (laughs) 
<laughs> and so then any new, any new hires, you invite them only to that repo. It's just like single, fake code. Single migration. <laughs> Mon- create table MongoDB. <laughs> That's the sample app we need to pass out you to just, all our new hires. Yeah, just like for the first hour on the job, you only give them access to that repo and just... Uh, I'll be right here if you need anything. Yeah. If you have the any whole questions. App's in there. <laughs> <laughs> Just like running actual Podia in an iframe, like, in, like <laughs> encoded in base 64 somewhere. <laughs> like, no, that oh. whole app works. What are you talking about, dude? I can see it right there. Like, yeah. there's only one table named MongoGP. Yeah. yeah. And if you look in there, there's a user. Yeah. <laughs> and you got courses, we got comments. Everything's there. <laughs> oh my god, bro! I need to, dude. I'm gonna go float this idea to Jamie and get myself a raise. <laughs> Not actual. Uh, I feel bad for whoever the next new hire is, dude. I mean, they're, they're gonna have a really easy time learning the new app. <laughs> yeah, everything like, is. Oh, Real thing is know, easy. What's really great is we can just use one database model for all this. And just say create, shove the. The user JSON in here, the course JSON, it's perfect. It's basically GraphQL inside yeah. and MongoDB combined into one. You get it. We're yeah. kind of ahead of our time. Yeah. Well, then you can we cache just, it, right? <laughs> <laughs> just take the data straight out of React on the front end, send it to the API, which is just one post request endpoint. That's it. It just always returns no okay, authentication, no matter what. Yeah. Okay, but it has a JSON field with uh, with yeah, error yeah. key in it, of course. <laughs> yeah, of course. Yeah, <laughs> but with a status of okay, a state of yeah. error. Oh yeah, 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 to, yeah. I mean, it was okay. It got the error back to you successfully. Yeah, I mean, obviously. Right? Dude, why so. aren't we teaching workshops? We need to bring this theory to the people. Yeah, maybe that's an April first. Uh, oh, we yeah. just replace all the videos on GoRails with. MongoDB with tutorials. The nonsense. Yeah. That would be fun. It would be a pain to actually make it happen, but it would be hilarious. The best trolls are always that way. Yes. They changed characters' names in South Park. They're like, yeah, his name is always this. And they committed to the troll so hard that they're like, only this one character doesn't know his name. And they went back and changed all the subtitles. All the subtitles in all the episodes past that have happened like since 96, they changed all the subtitles so only this one character says his name a certain way. And everyone else used to, like, dude, you got to wow. I love the commitment. Wow. I'm about to do that Midwestern like knee slap. Slap top of car. Yeah. This podcast can hit so many memes. Dude, we could shove so many more memes in this. Dude, imagine if we got like a meme soundboard. <laughs> Just we just need the Roadcaster Pro or whatever we had at, at Rails Yeah, World. dude, those are expensive. Yeah, they are. Oh, do so many influencers on YouTube have these? These things are not cheap. Maybe they're sponsored. Freaking nerds. I would happily do the uh, the sponsorship for that stuff. Oh, heck yeah. Be cool. For a soundboard? Yeah. <laughs> dude, just about Jason would love it. We wouldn't be able to focus on what we were talking about. Just be hitting button. Can we even focus anyways? We record no. the worst time of the week where we're like, 
It's Friday. It's the afternoon. We've already yes. worked on Friday morning anyway. So it's just like so tough to be on the ball. On a- I was staring. I was trying to listen so hard. And I'm, <laughs> I think I'm so burnt. You're talking about code. And I'm like, what is a code? <laughs> I'm venting about code is what I'm doing. Yeah, like what even is a webhook? Enough for this week. We can yes, burn sir. ourselves out next Friday. Oh, yeah. Same time, <laughs> same great place, same great people. All right. We'll see you next week. Later. Peace out. <laughs>